For God's sake, let us sit upon the ground and tell sad stories of the deaths of kings, how some have been deposed, some slain in war. I me, I see the ruin of my house. The tiger now hath seized the gentle hind. Insulting tyranny begins to jut upon the innocent and aweless throne. What is a man? Sure he made us with such large discourse, looking before and after, gave us not that capability and godlike reason to fust in us unused. O oh, my dear father, restoration hang thy medicine on my lips, and let this kiss repair those violent harms that my two sisters have in thy reverence made. I am a king that find thee, and I know, tis not the balm, the scepter and the ball, the sword, the mace, the crown imperial, the throne he sits on, nor the pomp that beats on the high shore of the world. This is the mighty history of the British Empire, a people living on a tiny island in the North Atlantic Ocean, built an empire that circled the earth and brought freedom and education to languishing millions. This empire was blessed by Almighty God and one of his best educated teachers, William Shakespeare. Shakespeare has educated some of the greatest leaders of all time, such as Abraham Lincoln and Winston Churchill. We shall never surrender. Our troubled world needs a fresh crew of nation-building leaders. Are you ready to step up to the challenge? Welcome to the exciting classroom of Shakespeare's royal education with host Dennis Leap. Well, greetings, everyone. Welcome back to Shakespeare's Royal Education. Well, I don't have any comments today, and that's partly my fault because I haven't been taping uh, so much lately. And uh, uh, for all of you out there that, that uh, know a lot about the PCG, you know that we were keeping the Feast of Tabernacles, and uh, we also had some extra vacation after that. And I was in Israel, by the way. And um, it, it was uh, the most exciting trip I've ever had. We, we got to see the Temple Mount. We got to see the, the old city of Jerusalem. We got to see the, the Garden Tomb and Golgotha, and uh, we had the opportunity to go to Megiddo, to Masada. I actually floated in the Dead Sea, and that was scary because you have to have good stomach muscles because that sea will just dump you in your face if you're not, <laughs> if you're not careful. And it is full of salt, by the way. And so, uh, but, but also we have to, to admit that we're saddened by what has happened to, to Israel. And... Um, uh, so many people in this world don't understand that they were under attack, that it was a, a vicious attack on them. And uh, what we need to do is, is support them. And uh, uh, no one likes war, but uh, again, they did not start this war. And so, uh, uh, but anyway, it's, it's good to be back. I'm glad to be back at, at the college, back in teaching. Also, I'm very happy to be back taping. Now, on our last program, for however long ago that was, <laughs> I ended the podcast reading from Act 4, Scene 7, Lines 1, and, and uh, um, through 44. And so this is that very tender scene when uh, Cordelia finally uh, gets her father protected from the storm, gets her... Uh, 
Kent is there with him, with her. Kent is still disguised, and uh, Kent actually uh, tells Cordelia to please keep him disguised. He doesn't want to be revealed yet. Uh, there's a doctor there helping, and Lear is asleep and resting. And so, so uh, Cordelia has successively recovered her father from the horrific storm. Uh, he, she, she has delivered him from her evil sisters. She's placed him under a doctor's care. But it's not all joy and jolliness because uh, uh, there is more drama to come even at this scene. And uh, I'll talk to you more about that towards the end of the program. Now, for today's program, I want to go back to the beginning of Act 4, Scene 6, which begins on page 105. Now, what, what I really want to do is let me give you a little bit of a prep on this. Uh, if you remember back to this scene, it's, it's a, the comedic scene where Edgar takes his blind father, Gloucester, uh, Gloucester to Dover, takes him to a field and pretends that he has taken him to the high cliffs of Dover so he can commit suicide. <laughs> and so, uh, so uh, Edgar really does have uh, a, a good plan for doing this, and we'll talk about that in just a minute. Now, this scene leads us to an unexpected appearance of an insane leer bedecked with weeds. Now, I think I mentioned this on the last program, and I do want to talk about this because it is just really important. And so, uh, so Lear does show up uh, even when Edgar and the Gloucester are together. Now, I mentioned this, but I didn't cover the scene. And, uh, uh, but, but I do, I believe that this scene, above all the other ones in this play, reveals William Shakespeare's creative genius. Because you would never think <laughs> that these two guys are going to meet up, you know, out in the woods, out in the weeds. And uh, it, it's really, really very touching because what really goes on here is the two fathers face their failures in raising their children. And so, so it, it really has, um, you know, a, 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 just, just a really good, it, it's really good. It's, it's really worthwhile. It's really, uh, like I said, it's kind of genius. So uh, let's go now. Um, again, I'm going to skip over just a little bit. Uh, the scene, Act 4, Scene 6, actually begins on 105. But, but to save some time, I want to go over to uh, page 106, and we're going to start in line 12. And uh, again, we've, we've discovered, uh, we've discussed this in a little bit in a past uh, program, but... Uh, um, Let's just, let's just start here with 12. So uh, this is Gloucester, and he talks to his, his he doesn't know it, it's, it is his son. Uh, he thinks this is a beggar. And remember, Edgar has been playing like he's poor Tom. And so he can't see him, but, but he suspects, uh, remember his, his servant said, this guy's naked, he's kind of crazy. <laughs> he's he's, uh, he's kind of off the beam. And, uh, and then all of a sudden now, Edgar isn't making his voice on, uh, let's say, weird. He's, he's now talking like Edgar. And Gloucester says, methinks you're better spoken. And uh, that's his first line. And Edgar says, come on, sir, here's the place. Stand still. How fear fearful and dizzy it is to cast one's eyes so low. So, so here, Edgar is, is beginning. They're in a flat field. 
they're, they're not even near the cliffs of Dover, the white cliffs of Dover. And he said, here's the place, sir. Uh, stand still. How fearful and dizzy it is to cast one eye so low. So he's saying, oh, it's even scary to see how far down everything is. And uh, he said, the crows and the clothes that winged away midair show scarce so gross as beetles. Halfway down, in other words, he's saying, even the big birds that are flying, when they get down there, they're just like little beetles. And uh, so so what, what Edgar is actually doing here is he's, he's building a false scene. Um, he's really trying to, he, he knows his father's eyes have been cut out, and so he knows he can't see it, but he's trying to build the suspense for him, and he's trying to, to really uh, help him to see that what he's about to do is is uh, not going to work. <laughs> he's not going to be committing suicide. But but essentially, Edgar, Edgar tells us in a few more lines, I want to help him get over his despair. That's what he wants. He wants him to be able to get over. And uh, uh, I'll even give you a, another little line in just a few minutes to to prove that, that even uh, Gloucester was beginning to realize you know, how, how he made so many mistakes, even with Edmund, and that he was betraying him, and, and he was a liar and all that. So uh, he says, halfway down, he goes on to say, this is line 14, halfway down hangs one that gathers samphire. Dreadful trade. Methinks he seems no bigger than his head. The fishermen that walk upon the beach appear like mice and yon tall anchoring bark. Diminished to her cock, her cock a boy, almost too small for sight. And so, so a cock there, there is a, a little ship, what it is. And of course, there's a boy. And uh, I'm going to say boy, because it's a boy. <laughs> and uh, so anybody out there that still like, doesn't like that, you can write me. All right, almost too small for sight. The murmuring surge that's on the un, unnumbered idle pebble shafts cannot be heard so high. I, I look no more lest my brain turn and the efficient sight topple down headlong. And so he tells Gloucester, he says, look, I don't even want to look down there anymore because I might fall down. And then Gloucester says, set me where you stand. And so Gloucester is still really serious about this. And Edgar says, give me your hand. You're now within a foot of the extreme verge. For all beneath the moon would I not leap upright. (laughs) He's telling telling, look, uh, man, I, I wouldn't do this. Gloucester says, let go my hand. Here, friends, another purse. In it a jewel, well worth a poor man's taking. And so, essentially, it's he's got a, a purse with his ring in it. And uh, and he's he's giving it to to what he th- feels is a, a beggar. But he's actually giving it to his son. He said, it's well worth a poor man's taking. Fairies and gods, prosper it with thee. Go thou furthest off. Bid me farewell, and let me hear thee going. And so, so Gloucester says, look, we're going to finish this to set me up, and then I want to hear that you're leaving me so that you don't protect me. So then Edgar says, now fare you well, good sir. And Gloucester says, with all my heart. And so here's where, where Edgar now, he, he talks aside. And when you see aside in when you're reading these plays, Edgar is really talking to the audience. That's what he's saying. He's talking to the audience. And so, so here he's, he's talking aside. He says, Why I do trifle thus with his despair is done to cure it. And he said, look, I'm doing all this. I'm making all this up to, to help him cure his despair. And then Gloucester, <laughs> he, 
he really thinks he's on the edge of the cliff. And uh, if you could ever see a movie of this, it's hilarious. I mean, it, it really is kind of a, a, a breath of comedy in the middle of such a horrible play. And he says, uh, this world, he, he kneels down. And remember now, at the very beginning, Gloucester is really into the gods. He's really into paganism. He's really into the, to the stars and everything happening. And, and uh, uh, so he says, uh, oh, you mighty gods. So he kneels down. He says, this world I do renounce and in your sights shake patiently my great affliction off. If I could bear it longer and not fall to quarrel with your great opalous wills, my snuff and loathe part of nature should burn itself out. If Edgar live, oh, bless him. Now, fellow, fare thee well. And so he still doesn't realize this is Edgar. Edgar's, Edgar's taking care of him. And, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's really good to see that Edgar and Cordelia really want to help their fathers. And um, he, he just makes a little prayer for Edgar if he still lives. And then he falls forward. And what happens is he faints. <laughs> he just, he faints. He's so emotionally distraught. He's so upset. You know, he falls down. Uh, you know, uh, I can imagine, you know, that uh, if I were a play director, I'd have him fall down with his face in the mud. So when you see him again, he's got mud all over him. But uh, I'm, I'm not that capable of, of that. Anyway. Edgar says, gone, sir, farewell. And so, so he yells, hey, I'm, I'm gone. You said to be for me to be gone, I'm gone. And yet I know not how conceit my rob, uh, my rob, the treasury of life when life itself yields to the theft. Had he been where he thought, by this had thought been passed, alive or dead. So, so Edgar now realizes that his father is, is out. <laughs> he fainted. He's he's not even there. He says, uh, he says he's either alive or dead. He says, "Ho, you sir, friend, hear you sir, speak." Thus might he pass indeed. Yet he revives. What are you, sir? And and uh, here the the uh, the uh, wildness of the story gets worse because now. Um, what Edgar does is he plans he's, he, he, he plans to let his father believe they're on the beach. In other words, he's already fallen all the way off the cliff and they're on the beach. And, and, uh, and Edgar says, what are you, sir? And now he's probably changed his voice. You know, he's done all this, you know, and he says, away, let me die. And then Edgar says, hast thou been aught but gossamer feather, sir? So many fathom down precipitating, thou shivered like an egg, but thou dost breathe. And so, so he's saying, man, I watched you fall all the way down that cliff. And it's like you were a bird. <laughs> you, were, you were flying down. And he says, hast heavy a, a substance, bleeds not, speakest art sound, ten mass at each make not the altitude, which thou hast perpendicularly fell, Thy life's a miracle, speak yet again. And Gloucester says, But have I fallen or no? And Edgar says, From the dread summit of this chalky bourne. And so he, he's now talking about the white cliffs of Dover. He says, Look up a height. The shrill gorge lark so far cannot be seen or heard. Do but look up. Now, in some ways, um, uh, Edgar is still hiding that he knows his dad's blind 
you know, he's he's still acting like well, I'm just a new guy. You know, I'm I'm a different guy. And Gloucester says, "Alack, I have no eyes." <laughs> he says, "Is wretchedness deprived that benefit to end itself by death? Twas yet some comfort when misery could beguile the tyrant's rage, and frustrate his proud will." And so, so here Gloucester knows he has no eyes. And if if you uh, if you want to just make if you're taking any notes when you're at home, um, if you go back to Act Four, Scene One, and it's page ninety-two and it's line nineteen, you know Gloucester is is uh, really uh, regretful that that he had not believed Edgar, and he says he makes this statement: "I stumbled when I saw." And so, so there's, there's a part of the remorse, or you could even call it the repentance of Gloucester for not listening. So, so you could connect the two together. And again, that's Act 4, Scene 1, page 92, line 19. And it's, it's just a wonderful statement there. And then notice Edgar says to him, Give me your arm up so. How is it? Feel you your legs. You stand. And Gloucester says, Too well, too well. In other words, Gloucester's saying, <laughs> I want to be dead. I don't want to be standing on. Why didn't I break my legs, basically? And then Edgar said, This is above all strangeness. Upon the crown of the cliff, what thing was that which parted from you? So now, now Edgar's really pretty smart here. He's saying, Well, who was that being with you up at the top? <laughs> so, so he really doesn't want his dad to know who he is yet. And uh, Gloucester said, oh, it was a poor, unfortunate beggar. Now, now to me, again, this is, this is uh, Shakespeare's genius, what Edgar says here. He says, as I stood here below me, thought his eyes were two full moons. He had a thousand noses, horns whelked and waved like the enriched sea. It was some fiend. Therefore, thou happy father... Think that the clearest gods who make them honors of men's impossibilities have preserved you. So, so he's saying, there was this monster up there with you. He had his hollow eyes. You know, it's like he was crazy. You know, and uh, maybe, maybe the gods sent that person to you to help you. You know, and so and he's preserved you. And Gloucester says, oh, oh, I do remember now. Henceforth, I'll bear affliction. Till it do cry out itself, enough, enough, and die. That thing you speak of, I took it for a man. Often twould say, the fiend, the fiend. He led me to that place. Edgar says, bear free and patient thoughts. Now, here's the thing that that I mentioned last time. Uh, that I really, I really want to cover this, uh, you know, uh, by itself. And uh, I hope that everybody is still following me because I've been cutting, I've really been cutting the, this play in pieces so that we can do a piece at a time. And hopefully if you get time, you can go back and listen to it all and put all the pieces together. But, but uh, this is a scene I think is, is brilliant. It's, it's, again, it just reveals Shakespeare's um, uh, total genius here. So, so here, Edgar says to his dad, Bear free and patient thoughts, but then Lear just comes in on the scene, just shows up, and and uh, uh, Shakespeare writes in there he's mad, he's bedecked with weeds, <laughs> I mean, he's just totally, totally off his beam, and uh, uh, you know 
the last time I did, you know, how Cordelia found him and all that. Well, this is just prior to that time. And uh, I just think you need to, you just need to, to spend some time with this scene. So Edgar says, but who comes here? The safer sense will never accommodate his master thus. Then Lear speaks, no, they cannot touch me for coining. I am the king himself. So, so Lear is, is um, what, what he's beginning to do here is he's wanting to rebuild an army. And so he's talking about having money and coining and, and all of that. And uh, uh, again, he, he doesn't have any coins. He doesn't have any of that. And, uh, uh, but, but he really does, he does want to build an army. So Edgar says, oh, thou side-piercing sight. So now Edgar knows this is King Lear. And Edgar knows it's just disgusting. It's just sad to see the king acting like he's acting. Lear says then, nature's above art in that respect. So, so there's really a lot of humor in this part. He said, there, there is your press money. And so he's kind of looking at Edgar. And what press money is, is money that a king would use to build an army. And so he's saying, there's your press money. That fellow handles his bow like a crow keeper. Draw me a clothier's yard. Look, look, a mouse. And so the clothier's yard, it's, it's getting the army dressed. It's, it's getting the army dressed in the proper clothes to fight. And he says, look, look, a mouse. And, uh, <laughs> well, that few moments of sanity now are gone. Because he's, look, look, a mouse. Peace, peace. This piece of toasted cheese will do it. He has no posted, toasted cheese in his hand. <laughs> he has nothing. He says, there's my gauntlet. I'll prove it on a giant. Bring up the brown bills. Oh, well-flown bird. Oh, the clout. In the clout, hue. Give the word. And then Edgar goes off by himself. He says, sweet marjoram. You know, he said, oh, this is, this is crazy. So he's got his blind dad, and he's got Lear, who's absolutely mad. He's absolutely insane. And then... Uh, uh, um, then Lear, Lear goes up to him, and he says, when he says, give the word, what he's saying, it's a password. In other words, he said, are you part of the army? What's the password? How can I know who you are? And he says, sweet marjoram. And Lear says, pass. <laughs> he made it up. You know, how, how could the, how could the, the uh, password be sweet marjoram? Edgar's looking at all the weeds all over his head. He built a crown out of the weeds. He's wearing weeds. And uh, Lear says, pass. And then Gloucester says, I know that voice. Now he's blind, but he's still got good ears. And then you gotta you gotta pay attention to what Lear says there. He says, "Ha, huh, Goneril with a white beard." <laughs> and so what he does is is he looks at Gloucester and he says, "Oh, this looks like my daughter Goneril with a white beard." <laughs> and so so uh, he's nuts. He's really insane. He says they flattered me like a dog and told me I had the white hairs in my beard ere the black ones were there, to say I and no to everything that I said, I and no, too, was no good divinity. When the rain came to wet me once, and the wind to make me chatter, when the thunder would not peace at my bidding, there I found them there, I smelled them out, go to, they are not men of their words, they told me I was everything, tis a lie, I am not ague proof. And so, so, uh, he's he's really talking about you know 
uh, Albany and Conway and Reagan and Goneril. And uh, he said, look, I'm not ague-proof. You know, I'm not, uh, I can't be sick. Gloucester says, the trick of that voice I do well remember. Is it not the king? And Lear says, I, every inch a king, when I do stare, see how the subject quakes. I pardon that man's life. What was thy cause? Adultery? And so, so he's talking about giving judgment. He says, thou shalt not die. Die for adultery? No. The wren goes to it, and the small gilded fly does lecher in my sight. Let copulation thrive, for Gloucester's bastard son was kinder to his father than my daughter's and uh, got tween the lawful sheets. And so, so he's saying t- to Gloucester, look, um, you know, he, he didn't even understand about Edmund. He said, your Gloucester's bastard son was kinder to his father than my daughter's. That's not true. They didn't see it. And so, so this is what's going to come up in the discussion. He said, To it luxury pell-mell, for I lack soldiers. Behold yon simpering dame, whose face between her forks presages snow. The mince's virtue and does shake the head to hear of pleasure's name. The fits you not soiled, horses go to it with more riotous appetite. Um, uh, he says, Down from the waist they are centaurs, the women all above, but to the girdle do the gods inherit beneath is all the fiends. There's hell, there's darkness, there's the sulfurous pit, burning, scalding, stench, consumption, five, 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 pa, pa. Give me an ounce of civet, good apothecary, sweeten my imagination, there's money for thee. And so, so Gloucester is now kind of coming out of his depression or his despair, and he says, oh, let me kiss that hand. And, and I think this line that, that Lear says is really good. He says, let me wipe it first. It smells of mortality. <laughs> and so, so what he's saying is, yeah, I'll let you kiss my hand, but let's get the filth off of it. And it smells of mortality. Gloucester says, oh, ruined piece of nature, this great world, so shall wear out to naught. Dost thou know me? And Lear says, I remember thine eyes well enough. Dost thou skin, squinny at me? No, do thy worst, blind Cupid, I'll not love. Read thou this challenge, mark but the penning of it. And so, so Lear now recognizes that he's, he's, uh, he's blinded. And, uh, you know, so, so they're, they're actually, if, uh, if you ever see this stage, by this point, they're actually sitting side by side out in the field. And it's really funny. Gloucester says, were, were all thy letters sons? I could not see. And then, and then, uh, Gloucester says, "Look, I I can't see. I, I mean, I I don't. I, I think I I know your voice." And Edgar says, "Aside, I would not take this from report. It is, and my heart breaks at it." So Edgar's still watching them, and and he's saying, "Wow, this is just this is just painful." Gloucester says, "What with the case of eyes?" And then Lear says, Oh ho, you are there with me. No eyes in your head, nor no money in your purse. Your eyes are in a heavy case, your purse in a light. Yet you see how this world goes. And so they both see that the world is really turned evil and that uh, 
uh, you know, even I think even many people today are beginning to realize that there's something really wrong in the world today. And uh, people are coming to see it. They don't understand it. And then Gloucester says to him, look, I see it feelingly. And then Lear says, what, art mad? A man may see how this world goes with no eyes. Look with thine ears. And so, so you know, essentially what Lear is saying, they're living in an evil time. You know, there's, there's civil war in England. You know, his daughters have turned against him. His son-in-laws have turned, turned against him. You know, there's a big war going on. And, and uh, you know, that's what happens. That's what's happening in this world right now. Uh, it, it's just uh, uh, just insane what's happening. And, uh, you know, all the students, you know, in the United States in these big colleges, you know, they're standing up for Hamas, who actually started the war. I mean, we just have to face that. It's true. Uh, Israel did not start the war. But as uh, Pre- President Netanyahu says, uh, well, we're going to finish it. And so, but everyone hates them for doing that. And so that shows that just how sad this world really is. Anyway, he goes on to say, Hearken thy ear. He said, Change places and handy dandy, which is the justice, which is the thief. Thou hast seen a farmer's dog bark at a beggar. And then the Gloucester says, I, sir. And then Lear says, And the creature run from the cur. There thou mightest behold the great image of authority, a dog's obeyed in office. Thou rascal beetle, hold thy bloody hand. Why dost thou lash that whore, strip my, thy own back? Thou holy lust to use her in that kind, for which thou whipst her, the user, the cozener. Through tattered clothes, small vices do appear, robes and furred gowns hide all. Plates in with gold, and the strong lance of justice herdless breaks. Armored in rags, a pygmy straw does pierce it. None does offend none, I say none, I'm, I'll able him. Take that of me, my friend, who have the power to seal the accuser's lips. Get thee glass eyes, and like a scurvy politician, seem to see the things thou dost not. And so, so, you know, Lear is talking about the breakdown in government. There was a breakdown in government. And, of course, he was part of it. But he's telling Gloucester, get glass eyes so you can see. And like a scurvy politician seemed to see the things thou dost not. Now, 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 pull off my boots, harder, harder, so. Now Edgar then comes back in and he says, Oh, matter and impertinency mixed, reason in madness. So, so uh, Edgar's there to, you know, to keep reminding us, hey, look, Lear's mad. Uh, my father can't see, and, uh, you know, it, this is really sad. He said, Lear goes on to say, If thou weep my fortunes, take my eyes. I know thee well enough. Thy name is Gloucester. Thou must be patient. We came crying hither. Thou knowest the first time that we smell the air, we raw, we cry. I will preach to thee, Mark. And so, so here's where Lear actually come to some sound thinking. And he, re, he remembers back when he was born. He says, we come in, we smell the air, we roll, we cry. And he said, uh, you know, it's an evil world we're in. And then Gloucester says, alack, alack the day. And Lear says, when we are born, we cry that we are come to this great stage of fools. That is a typical Shakespeare line. 
where the stage of fools. And uh, he's also said in another place that all this world's a stage and we're merely players. So there's a certain amount of fate that Shakespeare believed in. But, but we know that there is a great God and uh, we know that he's uh, really watching this world and uh, he's going to stop it. He's going to stop what's happening. It's going to be changed to uh, a world that is absolutely wonderful and peaceful. He goes on to say, It were a delicate stratagem to shoe a troop of horse with felt. I'll put in proof, and when I have stolen upon these son-in-laws, then kill, 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 kill. And so essentially what Lear is still thinking, he's going to get an army, and he's going to go after his son-in-laws. He's going to stop everything. And, uh, of course, he really doesn't have the... uh, really the strength or the mind to do that. Now, it says, enter a gentleman with attendance. And so what you have to understand is the word gentleman there really means a knight. So it's it's actually coming from Cordelia. It's a knight from Cordelia. And they're, they've been out hunting for him. It says, oh, here he is. Lay hand upon him. Sir, your most dear daughter. And Lear says, no rescue. What a prisoner. I am even the natural fool of fortune. Use me well. You shall have ransom. Let me have surgeons. I'm cut to the brains. So, so Lear recognizes he's sick. And the knight then says to him, you shall have anything. And, and remember now, we've already covered that scene seven where you know Cordelia finally finds him and he's being seen by a doctor. Actually, he's sleeping in that scene. And uh, we're going to come back to that uh, for, the, for the last program anyway. So, so the, the knight says, look, you shall have anything. And Lear says, no seconds, all myself. Why, this would make a man a man of salt. To use his eyes for garden water pots, I and laying autumn's dust, I will die bravely like a smug bride, bridegroom. What, I will be jovial. Come, come, I am a king, masters. Know you that? And the gentleman says, or the knight says, you are a royal one and we obey you. Lear says, then... Then there's life in it. Come, and you get it. You shall get it by running. And then, sa, 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 sa. So essentially what happens is <laughs> the king starts running away. <laughs> he's, he's, gonna, he's not going to let the knight take him. And uh, the, the gentleman says, A sight most pitiful and the meanest wretch, past speaking of in, in a king, thou hast one daughter who redeems nature from the general curse which twain have brought her to. So he's saying, look, to, to the he's, he's probably yelling at the king look you have a good daughter that's going to redeem you from all this mess that you're in so uh, you know let me bring her to you bring you to her and then Edgar says hell gentle sir speed you what's your will he said do you hear it aught sir of a battle toward so essentially what what happens here is uh, basically the scene between Lear and Gloucester is is, is about over but Edgar, remember now, Edgar's still a strong man, even though he's been, been pretending he's a beggar. He's really pretty strong. And then, then Edgar is also, he's got his ear to the ground, and he knows there's a battle coming. And this is really preparing us for the last act, by the way. He says, that the, uh, he says, hail, gentle sir. And the gentleman says, sir, speed you what you will. He says, do you hear aught, sir, of a battle toward and the gentleman, the, the, the gentleman or the knight says, Most sure and vulgar, everyone hears that which can distinguish sound. 
Then Edgar says, But by your favor, how nears the other army? And the gentleman says, Near on a speedy foot, the main descry stands on the hourly thought. And Edgar says, I thank you, sir, that's all. Now the knight then says, Though that the queen on special cause is here, her army is moved on. And so, so the queen is there, and that's Cordelia. She was the queen of France, and she's on. But then there's something happened in France that made her husband go back. And so, so we don't want to miss that because we're going to need to understand that for, for the final act, Act 5. And then Edgar says, I thank you, sir. And then the knight uh, exits to get a hold of, of, uh, of Lear. All right. So uh, notice Gloucester comes back on the scene and he says, You forever, gentle gods, take my breath from me. Let not my worser spirit tempt me again to die before you, please. Edgar says, Well, pray you, father. Now, good sir, what are you? And then Edgar says, A most poor man, made tame to fortune's blows, who by the art of known and feeling sorrows and pregnant to good pity, give me your hand, I'll lead you to some bidding. And then Gloucester says, Hearty thanks, the bounty and the benison of heaven to boot and boot. Now, there's another thing in this scene. So essentially, that what I wanted to cover between Lear and Gloucester is over. But but what happens now is the uh, Oswald shows up. And this is, remember, this was uh, um, Goneril's servant, who she was also having an affair with as well. And what they've always wanted to do is is uh, they want to finish off Gloucester. And so they're sending Oswald to do the dirty deed. And Oswald says, oh, a proclaimed prize, most happy, that eyeless head of thine was first framed flesh to raise my fortunes. Thou old unhappy traitor, briefly thyself remember, the sword is out that must destroy thee. And Gloucester says, now let thy friendly hand put strength enough to it. So, so essentially, you know, Gloucester can't see, but he's saying, okay, you want to fight? I'll fight. He can't see. But Edgar now gets involved. And Oswald says, wherefore, bold peasant, darest thou support a published traitor? Hence, lest the infection of his fortune take like hold on thee, let's go, let go his arm. And so, so essentially, Edgar's trying to help his dad. Um, Oswald sees Gloucester as a traitor, and thanks to Edmund, he, Edmund set all of that up, and now Edgar is the one that gets to really defend his father. So we just turn over one page, it says, Edgar then says, chill not, let go, sir, without further occasion. So he's, he slips his voice up a little bit so that Oswald does not know it's Edgar. And uh, there's a good reason for that. Edgar wants himself to remain, uh, let's say, disguised, as the same reason Kent wants to stay disguised. They don't want to be known because they they have uh, they want to really get involved in the end of all this. So so Oswald says, "Let go, slave, or you diest." And Edgar says, "Good gentleman, go your gate and let poor Volk pass." So, so now he's 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 uh, he's not speaking normally. He says, "And should a been swaggered out of my life, twould not have been so long as tis by fortnight. Nay, come not near the old man. Keep out, chevorye, 
or is she try whether your costard or my ballad be harder, she'll be playing with you. And Oswald says, out dunghill, they fight. And Edgar says, chill, pick your teeth, sir, come, no matter for your foins, and Oswald falls. And so essentially what Edgar does is he kills Oswald. And that's the beginning of the good time. <laughs> He's coming. Uh, you know, they're going to get rid of, he got rid of Oswald. He says, slave, you have slain me. Villain, take my purse. If ever thou wilt thrive, bury my body and give the letters which thou find about me to Edmund, Earl of Gloucester. Seek him out upon the English party. Oh, untimely death, death, he dies. So Oswald is really stupid. Does he think he's, Edgar's going to give anything to Edmund? <laughs> he's not going to give any letters to Edmund. But Edgar says, I know thee well, a serviceable villain, as duteous to the vices of thy mistress as badness would desire. Gloucester says, What? Is he dead? And Edgar says, Sit you down, father, rest you. And so essentially, Edgar now says, I am your son. You're my father. And he says, Let's see these pockets, the letters that he speaks of, maybe my friends. He's dead. I am only sorry he had no other deathsmen. Let us see. Leave gentle wax and manners. Blame us not to know our enemies' minds. We rip their hearts. Their paper is more lawful. So he reads the letter now. And it's really interesting. He says, let our reciprocal vows be remembered. You have many opportunities to cut him off. If you will want, not, not time and place will be fruitfully offered. There is nothing done if he return the conqueror. Then I am the prisoner, and his bed my jail. From the loath warm, wherever of divorce me, supply the place for your labor. You, your wife, so I would say, affectionate servant, Goneril. So, so here, what we understand is Oswald was supposed to get this letter from Goneril. And, and what she's doing, she wants to get rid of Albany. She wants to get rid of her husband. He said, O indistinguished space of woman's will, applaud upon her virtuous husband's life and the exchange, and the exchange, my brother. Here in the sands, they all rake up the post unsanctified of murderous lechers, and in the mature time with ungracious papers strike the sight of the death practiced duke. For him tis well that of thy death and business I can tell. And so, so you can see that, that, uh, um, you know, again, you know, I want to say God worked this out, but this is just a play. <laughs> but Shakespeare, I mean, he had to think a lot about this to work this all out the way, it, the way it's happened. And then Gloucester finally says, the king is mad. How stiff is my vile sense that I stand up and have ingenious feeling of my huge sorrows, better I were distract. So should my thoughts be served from my griefs, and woes by wrong imaginations lose the knowledge of themselves. So uh, in the play, you, there's this uh, inset that says there's a drum afar off. And so essentially what it is, there's war, and there's, there's the war drums are starting. And Edgar says, give me your hand, for off me thinks I hear the beaten drum. 
come father i'll bestow you to a friend and so so that is that is a really really important scene and um the the the, the thing that um we need to we need to know and to understand is that that uh, um, eventually things are going to come out on top, and uh, Cordelia is going to to stand up, and she's going to make everything right. And uh, uh, again, it's it's just really, really uh, I think you know very interesting, and it's it's uh, it it is. Um, I, I think one of one of Shakespeare's best best programs. All right, I just wanted to um, just read you a, just a little bit about this Act Four, Scene Four, and uh, um, again, we've already gone through Act Seven. I mean, Scene Seven, and so so um, uh, I just want to read you a little bit of a summary and analysis of, of this Act Four, Scene Four. Just so you get it uh, in your mind and get it really settled there, and uh, it says uh, this is from uh, the um, um, oh I forget the the reference anyway it really doesn't matter it says the setting remains uh, this is Act Four Scene Four so so you have to to remember this whole setting for this Act Four is the setting remains the French camp near Dover. Now, Cordelia is now responsible for leading the French army in its defense of her father. Having learned of her father's deteriorating mental condition, Cordelia quickly sends an officer to search for Lear. And we, we just, we've talked about that. She asks the doctor if there's any way the king's mental acuity might be restored and prays that her father's sanity is not lost forever. And then he said, within moments, a messenger arrives with news of the English army's arrival and Cordelia prepares to use the French forces to help defend her father, and so so th this whole chapter, um, to, to get the complete overview of it, you have to understand that that there is war. Cordelia is there to to war to defend her father, and and uh, uh, the French forces are there, and uh, you know if, if you remember all the way back to the beginning of the play. You know, is that that Cordelia seemed like she was going to be banished forever, and yet she's the she's the the savior. And there's even some people that that believe that that uh, um, she really does, in some ways, um, represent Christ. Now, I'm not sure if I totally agree with that, but but the point is, she does say there's one line where she says, and we'll we'll cover this, and when we get to scene five where she says, I'm here to do my father's business. So, so we do know that Shakespeare did, um, you know, he, he did really use the Bible quite, quite a bit. And so, um, you know, it, it, it wouldn't be unnatural, un, un, uh, let's say, of Shakespeare to, to put a quote like that in there. And um, uh, it's, it's a, uh, it's it, it, just the way Shakespeare works, and of course, I think we've talked to you also in uh, about Moby Dick. In the, in the past, we've covered Moby Dick, and and uh, uh, Herman Melville was really studying Shakespeare when he wrote Moby Dick, and so he put a lot of of uh, total Bible references in there. That really is is there too. 
Um, one of the things that this, this summary and analysis says that, that uh, probably was in Shakespeare's mind, and I think it's probably, probably good to cover this just a little bit too, is that, that it's, it's probably, remember now, Shakespeare, we really do believe that he had a lot to do with the royal families and that he knew them intimately. And uh, he saw the good things and he also saw the bad things in the, in the, the, uh, the, the royalty. Um, by the way, when we're going to be finishing King Lear on our next podcast. And then, then after that, we're going to get into the play on King John. And there is obviously problems with King John as well. And, uh, you know, Shakespeare saw all those things, and uh, he actually wrote these things in plays to to really help the, the kings that he knew in his day. He knew Elizabeth. He knew James. And they had their problems. And so, so um, here's the analysis that goes on to say that the opening lines of this scene, which describe Blair's appearance, Show how far from his royal state the king has descended. In Act 1, Lear assumed the mantle of royalty with accustomed ease, and now he appears covered in weeds. Lear's choice of weeds for raiment, rather than the equally available flowers in the fields, is significant. The king's temperament is as wild and as ungoverned as the weeds, which grow so freely and which represent the unplanned, chaotic state of nature. And so, so you can see that, that when Shakespeare writes something, he, he doesn't just say, oh, well, just, let's just talk about weeds. No, he has a, he has a symbol to the weeds. And uh, it, it really is really quite interesting. And so the summary goes on to say, royalty should be cautious. Planning carefully for the possibility of insurgent weeds of their human equivalents. And uh, even if you look at the royalty today in England, uh, you know, we have um, Charles now king. We have Elizabeth has died. And even Elizabeth made mistakes in her, you know, being queen. And, you know, there's not a whole lot of talk about Charles in the news. And, and could it be because Charles isn't doing much? You know, it's, it's, and of course, if, if you look at, look at his family, the family's all breaking apart as well. You know, and the two brothers hate each other. Um, you know, they, they, um, you know, Harry, Harry doesn't want to be a part of everything. You know, it's, it's all broken down. They hate William. And uh, you know, it's it's William is will be next in line, you know, for the for the royalty. So so there's a lot there's a lot that that does go on, and um, in in the royalty and and uh, you know we know that um, you know Christ is King of Kings. He's going to do it right, and we know that Christ is going to return to the earth, and there's all these horrible things going on now. He's going to return as King of Kings, and he's going to. Uh, established a government uh, with his his uh, faithful church, and they're going to rule the world. There's going to be peace, and it's going to be an exciting time. But let me just keep, go on with this as as well. It says royalty should be cautious, planning careful for the possibility of insurgent weeds or their human equivalents. 
gaining a foothold in the landscape. Lear's physical self represents the results of the king's unwise abdication of authority and his negligence in tending to his kingdom. Instead of appearing like a carefully designed English garden, Lear and his kingdom show signs of neglect, and both are now infested with a wild outbreak of weeds. Lear, covered in weeds, metaphorically represents the reality of his realm. With the messenger's entrance, Cordelia's role of savior is emphasized. She is present, not as the head of a French invasion, but as a rescuer and defender of her father. And so, so uh, uh, again, I think that that was a good little summary, and that will help help uh, get us um, into the to the next um, next act. Um, we still have a have a little bit of, of time here. Um, let me go on, and uh, I don't think we covered necessarily all of this. Um, but let's go to, uh, we have about five minutes. Let's go to page um, 120. And uh, this is, this is uh, where Cordelia is with the doctor and they're, they're uh, um, talking about, about Lear. The doctor says, Madam, again, line, this is page 120 and we're at line uh, 44. He says, Madam, uh, do you, it's fittest. And Cordelia says, How does my loyal lord, how fares your majesty? And now this is, Lear has woken up. He says, You do me wrong to take me out of the grave. You are a soul in bliss, but I am bound upon a will of fire that mine own tears do scald like molten lead. Cordelia then says, Sir, do you know me? And Lear says, You are a spirit I know. Where did you, where did you die? And Cordelia says, Still, still far wide. And the doctor says, he's scarce awake. Let him alone a while. Lear says, where have I been? Where am I? Fair daylight. I am I'm mightily abused. I should and die with pity to see another thus. I know not what to say. I will not swear these are my hands. Let's see. I feel this pinprick. Would I were assured of my condition? And Cordelia says, oh, look upon me, sir, and hold your hand in benediction over me. You must not kneel. And so, so Lear, uh, again, he's waking up, and I think he does recognize Cordelia. And the thing is, is, is he's repenting over what he did to her, and he banished her. And Lear says, pray do not mock me. I am very foolish. I am a very foolish, fond old man. Fourscore and upward, not an hour more or less, and to deal plainly. I fear I'm not in my perfect mind. Methinks I should know you, and know this man, yet I am doubtful, for I am mainly ignorant. What place this is, and all the skill I have, remembers not these garments, nor I know not where I did lodge last night. Do not laugh at me, for as I am a man, I think this lady to be my child Cordelia. And so, so he knows. He knows what's going on. And he says, uh, Cordelia says, And so I am, I am. He says, But your tears wet, yet faith, I pray weep not. If you have poison for me, I will drink it. I know you do not love me, for your sisters have, as I do remember, done me wrong. You have some cause, they have not. 
And so, so he's saying, look, Cordelia, you have a cause to not love me. And, and Cordelia, she says, no, there's no cause. There's no cause. And he says, am I in France? And Kent is there. And he says, in your own kingdom, sir. And then Lear says, do not abuse me. And the daughter says, be comforted, good madam. The great rage you see is killed in him, and yet it is danger to make him even over the time he has lost. Desire him to go in, trouble him no more till further further settling. And Cordelia says, will you, will you please, your highness, walk? He says, you must bear with me. Pray you now, forget and forgive. I am old and foolish. So, so he exits, and uh, um, the Kent and the and knight take him. The gentleman says to him, Hold is true, sir, that the Duke of Cornwall was so slain. And so, so the thing is, he's telling him, Look, the, Corn- the Duke of Cornwall is dead. And if you have to remember back to that scene, uh, you know, he was, he was killed when... <laughs> And, and uh, his wife really didn't care. Uh, but he was killed during the time they were taking out Gloucester's eyes. So Kent says, most certain, sir. And then, gentlemen, who is the conductor of his people? Kent, as to said, the bastard son of Gloucester. And so, so, you know, Edmund is coming up. Gentlemen says, they say, Edgar, his banished son, is with the Earl of Kent in Germany. And Kent says, report is changeable, time Tis time to look about the powers of the kingdom approach apace. So, so uh, uh, you know, Edgar is not in Germany. Edgar's right there. And so the gentleman says, The arbitrant is like to be bloody. Fare you well, sir. And Kent says, My point and period will be thoroughly wrought, or well or ill, as this day's battle fought. And so that's, that's really, really good poetry there at the end. All right. So... That's uh, about all the time we have for today's program. Now, next time, we will conclude our program on King Lear with Act 5. And so if you want to read in advance, it might be a really good thing. So please write me any comments you may have to comments at kpcg.fm. You can also comment at my Twitter page, Shakespeare's World Education. And I, I guess I should still call it X now. But thanks for joining me next time as we advance our royal education. You've been listening to Shakespeare's Royal Education on Trumpet Radio. 101.3 KPCG. Streaming online at kpcg.fm and thetrumpet.com.